0: Chapter Nine of Gone to Earth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Gone to Earth by Mary Webb, Chapter Nine. Hunter Spinney, a conical hill nearly as high as God's Little Mountain, lay between that range and Undern. It was deeply wooded; only its top was bare and caught the light redly. It was a silent and deserted place, cowled in ancient legends. Here the black huntsman stalled his steed, and the death pack coming to its precincts ceased into the hill. Here, in November twilights, when the dumb birds cowered in the dark pines, you might hear from the summit a horn, blown very clearly, with tuneful devilry, and a scattering sound of deep barking like the noise of sawing timber, and then the blood-curdling tumult of the pack at feeding time. Today, as Hazel began her work, the radiant woods were full of pale colour, so delicate and lucent that beauty seemed a fugitive presence from some other world, trapped and panting to be free. The small patterns of the beeches shone like green glass and the pale spired chestnuts were candelabras on either side of the steep path. In the bright breathless glades of larches the willow wrens sang softly, but with boundless vitality. On sunny slopes the hyacinths pushed out close-packed buds between their covering leaves. Soon they would spread their grave blue like a prayer carpet. Hazel Stooping in her old multicoloured pinafore, her bare arms gleaming like the stripped trees, seemed to Edward, as he came up the shady path, to be the spirit of beauty. He quite realised that her occupation was not suited to a minister's future wife. But she may never be that, he thought despairingly. "'Have you ever thought, Hazel,' he said later, sitting down on a log, have you ever thought of the question of marriage? I ne'er did, till Foxy took the chicks. Edward looked dazed. It's like this, Hazel went on. Father, he's a rum-un, is father. He says he'll drown Foxy if she takes another. Who is Foxy? Oh, fancy you not knowing Foxy. Hers my little cub, pretty you never saw anything so pretty edward thought he had but she cannot get used to folks ways this was a new point of view to edward she'm a fox and she can't be no other and I'd I'd for she'd be a fox foxes are very mischievous edward said mildly mischievous hazel flamed on him like a little thunderstorm mischievous and who made em mischievous, I'd like to know. They didna make theirselves. God made them, Edward said simply. What for did he, if he didna like em when they were done? We can't know all his reasons. He walks in darkness. Well, that's no manner of use to me and Foxy, said Hazel practically. So, All as I can see to do is to get married and take Foxy where there's no chicks. So you think of marrying. Ah, and I told father I'd marry the first as come. I swore it by the mountain. And who came? Edward had a kind of faintness in his heart. Never a one. Nobody at all. Never a one. And if anyone came and asked for you, you'd take him? "'Well, I'm bound to, seemingly, but it done a matter. None'll ever come. What for should they?' She herself answered her own question fully, as she stood arioled in dusky light. His eyes were eloquent, but she was too busy to notice them. "'And should you like to be married?' he asked gently. He expected a shy affirmative. He received a flat negative.' "'My mam did like it, and she said it'd be the end of going in the woods and all my gamesome days, "'and she said, tears and torment. Tears and torment was the married lot, and she said, "'Keep yourself to yourself. You wouldn't a maid for marrying any more than me. "'Eating company, but sleep alone. That's what she said, Mr. Marston.' Edward was so startled at this unhesitating frankness that he said nothing, that he silently buried several sweet hopes that had been pushing up like folded hyacinths for a week. The old madness was upon him, but it was a larger, more spiritual madness than Reddin's, as the sky is larger and more ethereal than the clouds that obscure it. He was always accustomed to think more of giving than receiving, so now he concentrated himself on what he could do for Hazel. He felt that her beauty would be an ample return for anything he could do as her husband to make her happy. If she would confide in him, demands on his time, run to him for refuge, he felt that he could ask no more of life. The strength of the ancient laws of earth was as yet hidden from him. He did not know the fierceness of the conflict in which he was engaging for Hazel's sake, the world-old conflict between sex and altruism. If he had known, he would still not have hesitated. Suddenly, Hazel looked round with an affrighted air. "'It's late to be here,' she said. "'Why? There's harm here if you bide late.' The death packs about here in the twilight, so they do say. They looked up into the dark steeps, and the future seemed to lower on them. Maybe some bad'll come to us in this spinney," she whispered. Nothing bad can come to you when you are in God's keeping. There canna be many folk in his keeping, then. Do you say your prayers, Hazel? he asked rather sadly. Ah, I say... Keep me one year, keep me seven, till the gold turns silver on my head. Bring me up the hill of heaven, and leave me die quiet in my bed. That's what I always say. Who taught you? My ma'am. Ah, well, it must be a good prayer she taught it you, mustn't it? He said. Suddenly, Hazel clutched his arm affrightedly. Hark! Galloping up yonder. Run! Run! It's the black huntsman!" It was Reddin, skirting the wood on his way home from a search for Hazel. If he would come into the spinney, he would have seen them, but he kept straight on. It's bringing harm, cried Hazel, pulling at Edward's arm. See the shiver on me! It's somebody galloping o'er my grave! Edward resolved to combat these superstitions and replace them by a sane religion. He had not yet fathomed the ancient, cruel, and mighty power of these exhalations of the soil, nor did he see that Hazel was enchained by earth, prisoner to it only a little less than the beech and the hyacinth, bond-surf of the sod. When Edward and Hazel burst into the parlour, like sunshine into an old garden, they were met by a powerful smell of burnt merino. Mrs. Marston had been for some hours as near paradise as we poor mortals can hope to be. Her elastic-sided cloth boots rested on the fender, and her skirt, carefully turned up, revealed a grey-stuffed petticoat with a hint of white flannel beneath. The pink shawl was top, which meant optimism. With Mrs. Marston, optimism was the direct result of warmth her spectacles had crept up and round her head and had a rakishly benign appearance on her comfortable lap lay the missionary word and a large roll of brown knitting which was intended to imitate fur edward noted hopefully that the pink shawl was top here's hazel come to meet you mother mrs marston straightened her spectacles surveyed hazel and asked if she would like to do her hair this ceremony over, they sat down to tea. And how many brothers and sisters have you, my dear? asked the old lady. Never a one. Nobody but our Foxy. Edward too has none. Who is Foxy? My little cub. You speak as if the animals were a relation, dear. So all animals be my brothers and sisters. I know, dear, quite right all animals in conversation should be so, but any single animal, in reality, is only an animal and can't be. Animals have no souls.' "'Yes, they have, then. If they Hannah, you Hannah, Edward hastened to make peace. "'We don't know, do we, mother?' he said. "'And now suppose we have tea?' Mrs. Marston looked at Hazel suspiciously over the rim of her glasses. "'My dear, don't have ideas,' she said. "'There, Hazel,' Edward smiled. "'What about your ideas in the spinney? "'There's queer things doing in Hunter's Spinney, "'and what for shouldna you believe it?' said Hazel. "'Sometimes more than other times, and midsummer most of all.' "'What sort of queer things?' asked Edward, "'in order to be able to watch her as she answered.' hazel shut her eyes and clasped her hands speaking in a soft monotone as if repeating a lesson in hunter's spinney on midsummer night there's things moving as move no other time things free as was fast things crying out as have been a long while hurted. she suddenly opened her eyes and went on dramatically first comes the black huntsman crouching low on his horse and the horse going belly to earth and john Mears of the public he seed the red froth from his nostrils on the brakes one morning when he was catching pheasants and the jess with him great hound dogs real as real only no eyes but sockets with a light behind em ne'er a one knows what they're after "'If I seed them, I die,' she finished hastily, taking a large bite of cake. "'Myths are interesting,' said Edward, "'especially nature myths.' "'What's a myth, Mr. Marston?' "'An untruth, my dear,' said Mrs. Marston. "'This inner one, then, I tell you, John seed the blood. "'Tell us more.' Edward would have drunk in nonsense rhymes from her lips. "'And there's never a one to gainsay in all the dark woods,' Hazel went on, "'except on Midsummer Eve.' "'Midsummer,' Mrs. Marston's tone was gently wistful, "'is the only time I'm really warm. "'That is, if the weather's as it should be, but the weather's not what it was.' "'Tell us more, Hazel.' "'pleaded Edward. "'What for do you want to hear, my soul?' "'Edward flushed at the caressing phrase, "'and Mrs. Marston looked as indignant as was possible "'to her physiognomy, "'until she realised that it was a mere form of speech. "'Because I love... old tales.' "'Well, if so be as you go there, then,' "'Hazel leant forward earnest and mysterious.' After the pack's gone, you'll hear soft feet running and you'll see faces looking out and hands waving and gangs of folks come galloping under the leaves, not seen clear, hastening above a bit. And others come quick after, all with trouble on them, and the place is full of whispering and rustling and voices calling a long way off. And my mam said, the trees get free that night, or else folk of the trees creeping and struggling out of the bowls like a chicken from an egg getting free like lads out of the school and they go after the jeff-pack like birds after a cuckoo and last comes the lady of undern copy lagging and lonesome riding in a troop of shadows and sobbing lost lost oh my green garden and they say the break flowers on the eve of that night, and no bird sings, and no star falls. What a pack of nonsense, murmured Mrs Marston drowsily. That in inner, cried Hazel, it's the bloody truth. Mrs Marston's drowsiness forsook her. Hazel became conscious of tension. Mother, edward's voice shook with suppressed laughter although he was indignant for hazel's father for such a mistaken upbringing mother would you give hazel the receipt for this splendid cake and welcome my dear the old lady was safely launched on her favourite topic and if you'd like a seed cake as well you shall have it have you put down any butter yet Hazel never put down, or preserved, or made anything. Her most ambitious cooking was a rasher and a saucepan of potatoes. "'I dunna know what you mean,' she said awkwardly. Edward was disappointed. He had thought her such a paragon. Well, well, cooking was, after all, a secondary thing. Let it go.' "'You mean to say you don't know what putting down butter is, my poor child?' But perhaps you go in for higher branches, lemon curd now, and bottled fruit. I'm sure you can do those. Hazel felt blank. She thought it best to have things clear. I canna do naught, she said defiantly. Now, mother, Edward came to the rescue again. See how right you are in saying that a girl's education is not what it used to be. See how Hazel's has been neglected. Think what a lot you could teach her. Suppose you were to begin quite soon. A batter, began Mrs Marston, with the eagerness of a philosopher expounding her theory, is a well beaten mixture of eggs and flour. Repeat after me, my dear. Eh, what's the use? He dunna know what eats, no more'n a pig. I shanna cook for him who's that dear mrs marston inquired my dad mrs marston held up her hands with the mock fur knitting in them and looked at edward with round eyes she says her father's a a pig my dear she doesn't mean it he said loyally do you hazel ah and more the host and hostess sighed then edward said yes but you won't always be keeping house for your father, you know, and found himself so confused that he had to go and fetch a pipe. Afterwards, he walked part way home with Hazel, and coming back under the driving sky that seemed to move all in a piece like a sliding window, and showed the moon as a slim lady waiting for an unlooked-for happenings, he could have wept at the crude sweetness of Hazel. She was of so ruthless an honesty towards herself as well as to others. She had such strange lights and shadows in her eyes, her voice, her soul. She was so full of faults and so brimming with fascination. Oh God, if I may have her to keep and defend, to glow in my house like a rose, I'll ask no more, he murmured. The pine-tops bowed in as stately a manner as they had when Hazel cried, I'll never be a woman. They listened like grown-ups to the prattle of a child, and the stars, like gods in silver armour, sitting afar in halls of black marble, seemed to hear and disdain the little gnat-like voice, as they heard Vesson's defiant, Never will I, and Mrs. Marston's woolly prayers and Reddin's hoofbeats all man's desires predatory fugitive or merely negative wander away into those dark halls and are heard no more among the pillars of the night, is there one who listens and remembers and judges the foolishness of man not by effects but by motives and does that one in the majesty of everlasting vitality and resistless peace ever see how we run after the painted butterflies of our desires and fall down the dark precipice. And if he sees and hears the wavering calamitous life of all creatures, and especially of the most beautiful and the most helpless, does he ever sigh and weep, as we do when we see a dead child or a moth's wing impaled on a thorn? Our heavy burden is that we cannot know For all our tears and prayers and weary dreaming we cannot know. Edward lay awake all night and heard the first blackbird begin tentatively his clear song, a song to bring tears by its golden security of joy in a world where nothing is secure. The old madness surged in upon Edward more strongly as the light grew, and he tried to read the Gospel of St. John, his favourite but the words left no trace on his mind hazel was there and like a scarlet-buried rowan on the sky she held the gaze by the perfection of the picture she made the bent of edward's mind and upbringing was set against the rush of his wishes and of circumstance she had said the first that came and he was sure that in her state of dark superstition she would hold by her vow suppose some other some farm-hand who would never see the real hazel should have been thinking over the matter and should go to-day and should be the first it was just how things happened and then his flower would be gone and the other man would never know it was a flower He worked himself into such a fever that he could not rest, but got up and went out into the lively air and saw the sun come lingeringly through airy meadows of pale green and primrose. He saw the ice slip from the bright-pointed lilac buds and sheep browsing the frosty grass and going to and fro in the unreserved way that animals have in the early morning before the restraint of human society is imposed on them. He saw, yet noticed nothing, until a long scarlet bar of cloud reminded him of Hazel, by its vividness, and he found a violet by the graveyard gate. Little Hazel, he whispered. He pondered on the future, and tried to imagine such an early walk as this with Hazel by his side, and could not, for the glory of it. Then he reasoned with himself. This wild haste was not right, perhaps. He ought to wait, but that vow, that foolish, childish vow. I could look after her. She could blossom here like a violet in a quiet garden. Giving was never too early. And I am asking nothing, not for years. She shall live her own life and be mother's daughter and my little sister for as long as she likes. My little sister, he repeated aloud as if some voice had contradicted him. And indeed the whole wide morning seemed to contradict his scheme. The mating birds, the sheep suckling their lambs, the insistent neighing and bellowing that rose from the fields and farms— the very tombstones with their legends of multitudinous families, and the voice that cried to man and woman, not in words, but in the zest of the earth and air, Beget! Bring forth! And then depart, for I have done with you. A sharp, cold shower stung his cheeks, and he saw a slim rosebud beating itself helplessly against the wet earth, broken and muddy. He fetched a stake and tied it up, I think, he said to himself, that I was put into the world to tie up broken roses, and one that is not broken yet, thank God. It is miraculous that she has never come to harm, for that great overgrown boy, her father, takes no care of her. Yes, I was meant for that. I can't preach. He smiled ruefully as he remembered how steadfastly the congregation slept through his best sermons. I can't say the right things at the right time. I'm not clever, but I can take care of Hazel, and that is my life work," he added naively. Perhaps I'd better begin at once and go to see her to-day. Ah, the golden scarlet morning as he came home after finding that resolve, which, as a matter of fact, he had taken with him how the roof of the parsonage shone like the New Jerusalem, and how the fantail pigeons, very rotund denizens of that city, cooed as they walked gingerly, tiles being cold to pink feet on a frosty morning, up and down in the early sun. Edward so much wanted to keep the violet he had found that he decided he ought to give it to his mother. So he put it on her plate, and looked for a suitable passage to read at prayers. The Song of Solomon seemed the only thing really in tune with the morning, but he decided rather sadly that something in Corinthians might please his mother better. So he read, The Greatest of These is Love. And his voice was so husky and so unmanageable that mrs marston who did not notice the golden undertones that matched their beauty with the blackbird song went straight from the chair she knelt at in the prayers to her storeroom and produced lemon and honey which edward loathed you're very throaty my dear and you must take a level spoonful she said it is only in poetry that all the world understands a lover In real life, he is called throaty and given a level spoonful of that nauseous compound known as common sense. End of chapter 9. Recording by Rachel Linton, Bristol, UK.